Welcome into the Digital Dispatch Podcast sponsored by Freight School Playbook. And on this episode, I'm adding something new to the mix where when I appear on other shows, I want to make sure that you don't miss it mainly because there's a lot of value in it that I think you'll find useful. And this podcast will serve as the home for any time I have a chat with another show just to make sure that you guys are getting the maximum amount of value from listening and giving me your time and attention. Now, with that said, since this is a new podcast, it's really, really important and I hate to be this person, but it's really important to get those early reviews and ratings in. So if you have it, please take a second to rate and review the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google. We are sitting at a few weeks into our launch, have already hit triple digit downloads, which is really, really great to see. Uh, but right now I really only have two podcast reviews on Apple. So if I could get you guys to do that, I would give you a giant hug through the microphone mascot, of course, but it really, really helps with getting the reach out to more people. And if that happens, I can keep bringing you these kind of insights. You need to turn your brand into a digital marketing machine. Now, getting back to this particular show, this interview is from a show called Put That Coffee Down with hosts Timothy Dooner and Kevin Hill from the fantastic Freight Waves team. They broadcast the show live on LinkedIn every Wednesday at noon and also have a podcast version where the audio is later updated. Now, in this segment from the show, I talk with them about how COVID has disrupted marketing, the tactics I'm seeing in my data and my clients' data of what is working and what isn't working anymore. Also, we get into a ton of tips that hopefully will help you in finalizing your 2021 digital marketing budgets. So let's not waste any more time and let's go ahead and dive on in. to us, not via Zoom, but be from our own uh, video chat software. It is, it, it's Blythe Brumleaf. She's the founder of Brumleaf Brands LLC. Blythe, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to join us. Thank you for having me. Ooh, and I like the, uh, I like the, the plug for Space Waves there with your nice NASA jersey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm super pumped. I, I, I remember when you guys originally announced it a few months back, and, and I've had this marked on my calendar for a very long time. So I'm not only ready with the sweatshirt, but I have also a coffee mug. I don't know if you guys can see it very well, but a little rocket yeah. ship coffee mug oh, wow. that I got from uh, the, the Kennedy Space Center from a trip over the summer. I love it. I love it. So people are not awesome. familiar. Blythe has a Blythe has a super interesting background. I mean, for, she was a blogger for a while. She she did marketing for a logistics firm. She's she's broad she's done broadcasting for the Jaguars, the uh, amazing franchise that is the Jaguars, <laughs> <laughs> especially over the past ten years. Um, Better days are ahead. <laughs> <laughs> But eventually you struck out on your own, right? And you, and you started a few of your own businesses. Give us a little bit of an elevator pitch on you. Sure. So I started about 10 years ago as an executive assistant at a 3PL here in Jacksonville, Florida. I had a little bit of a side hustle working as a sports and entertainment blogger. And back then, this social media and content marketing was very new. And so when my boss found out of what my side hustle was, he was like, well, you should start doing the marketing for us. And so here I am, you know, a, you know, a 25 year old doing you know, marketing for a logistics firm that's making, you know, 140 million annual every single year. And and, and it was um, it was a crash course in the world of logistics marketing. Unfortunately, that business ended up closing, and so that led to a path where locally here I was able to earn a role as editor in chief at a magazine. Also earned a role with a radio broadcasting team here in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was about three years ago that I started out on my own with Brumley Brands, and then that evolved into Digital Dispatch, which is uh, my main focus as of right now and for the past two years. 
Wow. What so did you what? learn? What did you learn when you started marketing? Because, you know, in freight marketing, especially for it's changing a little bit for a long time, though, freight marketing was like, here's a picture of a truck. <laughs> yes. Um, the, uh, fortunately, that still exists to this day. Uh, what I have seen the transition, though, is using, you know, the standard stock photos of pictures of a truck. And that's evolved more into companies starting to allow their employees a little bit more freedom, especially in the social media space where they can freely talk about what they do and how they do it and how they solve problems for their customers. And then they tie it back into, you know, say the company LinkedIn page. So it is changing. It is. I, I think COVID sort of uh, put it on a fast track, but it is changing for the better. So supply side, going back to websites, so you, you do a lot of website design. What, what's the number one, and you kind of said uh, pictures, but on, on the text and, and the copywriting part, what was the number one, uh, number one mistake that you find in trucking and logistics on the website and how, how it's laid out and how the copy is? But what, what's what's yeah, go ahead. As far as the, the copy is concerned, it's it's kind of one or the other. It's either really long-winded and way too much text, or it's a site that's built on like a Weebly or a Wix site, and it's not, it doesn't look as polished. I just saw a website yesterday that was just one page long, and it had some PDF links, and that was it. And this is a big-time company with, you know, more than 300 trucks, and it was one of those moments where it's like, whew, I, I, I imagine that that's worked for you for a little while, but it won't necessarily work for you in the future if you're looking for, you know, future recruiting efforts. Um, a really nice polished looking website really helps and goes a long way, especially when it comes to driver recruiting, because they want to know what kind of business they're working for and employee recruiting. You guys mentioned earlier on the show how everybody is working, you know, from home and your website is a great opportunity to show off and connect with other employees using your website as that home base. You know, you had a video. You, you had a video up on LinkedIn, Blight, that really that really sung to me and, and kind of goes with what you're saying here. But you're talking about playbooking, not by looking at the competition in freight, especially when it comes to marketing, because a lot of marketing in freight isn't great. You'll end up just posting a picture of a truck with some long-winded copy or some some obscure copy <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You actually you see that quite a bit in freight tech too. Just a copy that's like that doesn't mean anything if you know anything about freight. Um, but you said look look to outside media, and, and I have to agree with that. I mean that's a that's a that's that's what I do when I when my approach to producing shows. But what do you think the marketers in freight and salespeople in freight can can learn from that? Dive a little deeper. I, I think in with respect to the freight market, I think people play it safe a little too often. And what they do, what they ignore are the outside forces, because what a lot of the, the great marketing that you see eventually makes its way over to B2B marketing, but it starts with the B2C aspect first. And I, I think as marketers, even in the logistics space, you need to be thinking in a B2C way first. And so look at some of these brands that are out there that are doing it really well. I, I use the example of Nike, how they don't necessarily sell their products products, they sell the story of the person wearing their products. And I think that that's an important lesson that a lot of freight tech companies can, can use. They can use the stories of the problems that their software solves 
for their customers. And it, people are going to relate to that a lot more than just a list of features. And, and I think that that's a real missed opportunity is that a lot of companies are playing it safe where they could be looking more towards, you know, the sports and entertainment aspect. I think you guys do a great job of incorporating sports and also incorporating, you know, things like Star Wars into your into your messaging and into your show format. Don't be afraid to think outside of the box and think of those water cooler conversations and move them into your marketing. And you've, you've taken on, you've borrowed a lot from the B2C on your news venture, the preschool playbook, uh, doing a, doing a launch, doing, uh, doing that week long launch, kind of doing a beta and testing and, and getting that off the ground. What are some of the lessons you did a podcast recently on the lessons learned, but share with our audience, some of those, those lessons you learned uh, launching freight school playbook. There were a few lessons that, that I learned because for, for me as a marketer, I, I believe it's very important to practice what you preach. I naturally can't do everything that I preach to my clients, but I, I feel like it's very important for me to be out there creating content and creating products because if I don't know what works, I can't preach to them of, of what they should be doing. And so Freight School Playbook is my first foray into a digital marketing course environment. And, and there were a lot of lessons learned. I, I think one of my big ones was waiting too long to launch. I, I wanted everything to be perfect, but you don't learn until you launch. And, and so I wish I would have launched a little bit sooner. And I think that there was another, I, I think that I should have launched with what I like to call a sexier title. I launched with a couple courses that if you kind of look at them, it's kind of like a yawn fest, you know, how to audit your website and how to create a content marketing plan. Some of those courses I believe are very important, especially starting from the ground up, it's very important to know how to audit your brand in order to know where to go in the future, because you want to know what's already working for you and what's not working. And that's essential whenever you're moving into adding more products and, and more services to your business. Uh, and I think another thing that I learned is to just try, just do it. And, and also, as far as the advertising is concerned, don't think that advertising is going to solve every problem that you have. I, I was a little naive in that regard, thinking that I have my buyer personas worked out. I know who I'm selling to. I can just, you know, throw some money at an advertisement and, and it will just sell like hotcakes. And that's not the case. Advertising is a science. It's something that I have since started taking additional training on and, and learning the nuances between the creative and the first sentence that you use are all vastly important and where you do your testing matters. Uh, you should be doing your testing on a platform like Facebook instead of LinkedIn because LinkedIn is, is incredibly more expensive. So once you get that target audience and you get that messaging down on Facebook, try and transfer that messaging and that creative over to LinkedIn where it's a little bit more pricey in order to, to reach that same audience. No, you bring up a great point there, too, especially on Facebook and with, with Google ads, right? I mean, these are incredibly dense advertising platforms, and you can get a lot out of them. But you can if you come in very naive, right? If it's your first time using it, you'll end up spending a lot of money. I, I would yes, highly recommend con oh, yeah. considering an agency or someone who knows what they're doing, because you might be shocked, especially if you don't, put, especially on Google, if you don't put a spending limit, you'll be shocked at the amount of useless <laughs> click-throughs you got and the complete lack of sales you got, especially in logistics. It's tough to model a logistics. Uh, the, the selling logistics and the placement of logistics ads just because of the key terms that are used. They don't always work that well, that, that targeting. So I would, I would highly recommend using someone specialized. <laughs> 
Yes, and and I, I I attempted to do that as well, but I should have been more direct with my expectations. That was also a lesson that I've learned because I'm I'm a big fan of using specialized freelancers, specialized creatives, and and but it's on me, it, and especially for any other business out there that's considering outsourcing some of your marketing, it is on you to be direct of what the goal is that you want to eventually come from those advertisements. But it's also it's an important learning lesson that it isn't it it, it isn't a matter magic wand that's going to solve all of your problems. You need to really think of advertising as education at scale first, because most of the time people are just looking for information. And, and when you can be the person to provide that information, you are opening that door, that trust level with them. And so that eventually when they are ready to buy, they will be coming to you and you don't necessarily have to do as much outbound as, as you would be fielding inbound. I think all three of us can can relate to the expensive education of Google Ads, because <laughs> I, I have spent a lot of money on on Google Ads, and I realized that I, I didn't have the money to really do good A/B testing, and that I, I needed help with it, and <laughs> I, I kind of just just let it go because I could never get it right. Um, but, but that brings up a, a, another good point that they just made on on inbound leads. Or you, you in a podcast you did as well on inbound leads versus was it demand leads? Yeah, I, so I, I have. Content marketing? It's essentially uh, the way I like to preach my marketing is that you want to win on every level before someone gets to Google. So pushing out that education at scale of, of what I was referring to earlier is really educating your buyer because they don't necessarily know that they have a problem yet, or they don't necessarily know that they're they're doing things incorrectly. I I, I look to eBooks a lot because I, I actually did a show on this recently where I, I posted a clip and I, I think some marketers may have have taken it the wrong way because that's where you that that's your bread and butter as a marketer is getting those leads through the door and then you pass them off to sales but if you look at the data and you look at how well those ebooks eventually convert into customers the numbers just aren't there it's something like less than 1% of ebook download people eventually turn into a buying client. So it's one of those things that that we have to, as marketers, it's our job to dive into that data and to work with sales in order to find out what's really converting, what's really pushing people to request a quote, to book a demo. These types of options, you have to really work together closely with your marketing and sales departments. And I, I think especially for, for 2021, we really need to start looking at having brand ambassadors for every every single department within the company that can speak on behalf of those, those challenges and the, and the problems that they solve for customers from, from accounting to customer service, to, to the brokers on, on the phone all day with drivers, it, speaking to those problems and having those brand ambassadors will, will really give everyone an opportunity to be a marketer and, and to be that person that has the megaphone for your company. Because the tools are out there for everyone to use. And it's a beautiful thing that we can use tools like LinkedIn and Twitter and, and all of these other platforms and, and, and live video and podcasting. It's just a matter of, of training those employees to really hone in on that messaging. And the only way you get better and hone in on that messaging is by trial. Yeah, when you mention that too, I mean, it, how do you convince the marketer that has a very basic understanding of lead magnets, for example? And like, well, lead magnet, you make an ebook, you know, you put in your email address, bang, there you go, lead, you go and chase them down. How do you convince them that that isn't the best way to go about it? 
you really have to tell them to look at the data. I mean, what, what is the data telling you? And, and what? And you also should look at your own behavior whenever you're downloading an ebook. How many times have we all downloaded an ebook and then never went back and actually read it? So what happens in that process is that marketing thinks that they have a great lead and they pass it off to sales when that person is only looking for information and that's why they downloaded it. So when the sales lead reaches out to them sometimes 30 minutes after they filled out the damn form, it's one of those things where the, the, the buyer is isn't ready to buy yet. They just want information. They want education. So there are, I think there are pathways to make the ebook successful, but I don't think you need to put it behind a paywall or, or gatekeep it in order to, to make that transaction successful. There is a method of getting your work, of getting your messaging out there and solving your problems and then creating that trust factors that when the person is ready to buy, and it might not be next week, it might not be six months from now, but a year from now, they're going to remember the helpful content that you've been consistently creating outside of one simple ebook. So you really have to look at your data and, and be honest with yourself because it's your job to, to find out what the numbers are telling you and what's working and what's not working. Yeah, you're talking about consistency, and, and that's something that, that we appreciate all the time, too, is you have to be consistent. And I, I think a lot of marketers, uh, you know, and whether that's from the finance department or, or what have you, are really tied to ROI. So that's where the ebooks come in, right? You, you have to, to take that lead and convert it to get your ROI on the ebook, but it, it goes, goes a little bit deeper and, and further than that, where you have to have consistent content across all kinds of media channels uh, to, to really be able to, to, to convert those sales. And a lot, of those, a lot of times it's hard to measure and you can't measure it from any one source. It's a combination, right? It really is a combination and you have to have a full understanding of what your company is trying to achieve. So for me as, as a marketer, I don't measure anything until I get somebody that requests a quote. They request a quote, request a quote for me or book an assessment with me. Then I, on those calls, I'm asking them, how did you hear about me? How, what made you reach out to me today? Uh, those are the questions that they answer. And if you ask those questions and if you get your sales team involved in asking those questions initially, then they'll, they're more likely to say, oh, well, I saw this great LinkedIn post that you did the other day, or I saw this video that you posted on YouTube. It really resonated with me. And then that's how you can really track the ROI of, of what you're creating. Whenever you're creating content, you don't necessarily need to plan, well, I'm going to create this podcast and I expect to get 10 leads from this within a month or else it's a complete failure. That's not how content works. Content, you have to create it on a consistent basis. It has to be useful for your audience and it also has to be entertaining and educational. There, the, the barrier of entry to command that kind of attention is so low right now because we have so many tools at our disposal in order to, to capture that attention. And once you've captured that attention enough to where they're going to book a demo, they're going to request a quote, then that's when you can start measuring your efforts and seeing what's working well and what's not. Because once you establish you know, a long-term content plan, say you're publishing a new podcast every single week for six months, then you're starting to flip the script a little bit where 
you're doing less cold calling, you're doing less cold outreach, and the people are starting to come to you for answers. And that's really the ethos of, of demand marketing. And, and, and that's what's worked for me for my entire career across multiple industries. And, and it's what works and it's what consistently I'm seeing working for people within this industry, especially the ones that have jumped on LinkedIn quick, that have jumped on the video aspect and podcasting and creating content. Those people are winning now and they're going to continue to win in 2021. With a caveat, though, you made a very interesting point recently, and it's one that's come up. I mean, it usually comes up in the context of like politically charged discussions of people being deplatformed. But you people have been shadow banned from Instagram just for using the word coronavirus for a while. YouTube, if you put the word coronavirus and it's just a news update on coronavirus, your your video would get buried. And what you were talking about was not being so reliant on the lawn you don't own. Right. Not building a house on land that's not yours. Dive a little deep on that. Sure. So, so to my earlier point, when I was talking about, you know, creating a home base and using your website as a home base, you can use all of these social media platforms as your distribution channels, but they all should have some kind of a funnel back to your website. And you should have goals set up on your website. It's pretty easy to do as far as Google is concerned. Um, I know some other marketing platforms that are out there. Reby Analytics is another one that I use in order to set up goals on your website. Where did those users come from? Did they follow you on social media? Did they fill out an email subscribe? Did they, did they check out a certain blog article that you spend a lot of time on? Uh, those are the ways that you can measure that social media traffic coming to your website. And while I don't think it's a good idea for brands to be everywhere just for the sake of being everywhere, I do think that you should be creating backup content and, and backing up that content that you're putting up on Instagram, you're putting up on Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, all of these different channels, you can be banned like that. And if you are banned, you have no recourse. And so there are tools out there that you can integrate into your website that creates an automatic copy of every Instagram photo that you post. It will, can post right to your website, right in a, it, it almost looks like a blog article, but it's just your caption and the photo. And you can do the same thing with Twitter. I mean, a lot of the, the the tweets that we create are almost mini blogs in and of itself. So if you're creating a, a tweet thread, then take that text. It's a little time consuming, but you can take that text and turn it into a blog article and put as seen on Twitter. If you like the content that you're seeing here, follow me on Twitter. And so then that way you're sharing those spaces. But if anything happens where you are to lose your account, supply chain queen, she recently lost her account a couple months ago. She had one of the largest supply chain accounts on Instagram and it was shut down, no rhyme or reason. And she only recently got it back. And there are a lot of stories of people who have accounts like that and they don't get them back. So it's important to set that up, to set up that backup, not only of your website, but of your social media content as well, just as an insurance policy. Yeah, there's a perfect description of the, the risks of social media because you don't own that, that, that space. You don't own those followers. Uh, you do own the website. Another thing that you do own that, that keeps chugging along, generating sales year after year is your email list. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on developing and growing an email list? 
I'm a big fan of email, but I think that it has to make sense for your audience. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people over the weekend for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you were probably inundated with a bunch of emails. I got six emails from one brand on Cyber Monday, and it was enough to make me unsubscribe. So I think that if you are going to be in the habit of sending out emails, they need to be well worth your audience's time. You need to respect their time, respect their inbox, because it is already flooded. COVID has expanded that as well, and, and it's disrupted that where we're inundated with email. So if someone's going to take the time to open up your email, do something that you want them to do, you want to make sure it's worth that effort. Uh, Morning Brew, you guys have, have talked with them plenty of times. They have a great example of a newsletter that you are going to read probably 75% of the time. What the Truck has a great new newsletter that's out that, that works great as well in a similar format. And so these are the, the newsletters for the people who are not necessarily staying glued to social media, but they still want, they still don't want to miss that. So you're creating that, that uh, catch up on the FOMO that you might have missed. Uh, so I think that if you're intentional with your emails and that if you are providing that value every single time, then users will get used to looking at that email and be excited about opening up that email. And, and like Kevin, you said, this is email and your website are the only things that you're ever going to own digitally. So use those to your your advantage, constantly be building your email list, use your social media to point people to your email list or your website to those properties that you own, because you can take those with you anywhere. You can't necessarily take your social media accounts everywhere. You know, it's funny. So on Thanksgiving, my, my father-in-law was mentioning some show he watched on network TV. And aside from Big Sky, I don't really know any shows on network TV. A lot of people just don't watch network TV. It's not the water cooler talk it used to be. But if you're on Twitter, if you're on the internet, like memes are the water cooler talk now, right? That <laughs> Those FOMO things, things the morning brew, the what the truck newsletter might cover are that water cooler talk. Those are, those are things that have wider cultural awareness than any sort of singular show, especially on network TV, TV these days, unless there's, there's something super viral. And tapping into that conversation is... Uh, is very strong. We started the show talking about, you know, 2021, how it's going to look a lot like 2020 in a remote world. What what advice would you have for sales reps who still haven't gotten completely comfortable jumping in with uh, digital marketing, digital selling and uh, appearing on Zoom calls and, and the like? I think you have to face the fact that you either have to adapt, you have to adapt to survive. And if you haven't been using this time wisely, maybe you're a little scared to jump into that video call, that video format, and it can be terrifying, but you're only going to get better at things like this unless you try and you have to try and try again. You're going to face tech failures. You're not going to have the best equipment and that's okay. All you need is a cell phone and a $20 microphone from Amazon in order to get started. Started and push out good content, find out, talk to your customers, talk to your potential leads, find out what they're struggling with, and then create content around those struggles and speak to it regularly. I think a lot of companies as well, they need to use their employees to the best of their advantage, especially when it comes to social media. Allow your employees the freedom to create content around the company and then use your company pages as that content curation. And so then that way you're using the maximum amount of reach that say LinkedIn gives to a personal profile versus the limited amount of reach that they give to a company page because LinkedIn wants you to pay for advertising. So they're going to apply that to a company page and they're going to have your post show up lower in the algorithm versus your personal page or your personal conduct. Um, so then 
I would, that's the, the route that I would take for 2021. Empower your employees, give them the educational resources that they need, but also allow the flexibility for them to make a mistake or two. Have some, you know, loose guidelines, you know, maybe no cursing or, you know, maybe no, nothing offensive, no, no political or religious topics. Um, maybe you just need to focus on just the company and, and the things that they do. But if you do that, then you're going to better understand your target audience. Your target audience is going to know more about you and it's going to cost you relatively less than what it would cost you on, you know, say spending thousands of dollars on print brochures that go right in the trash as soon as you get them. You know, you bring up a good exactly. point. If you're going to go in those directions, if those political or religious directions, then go all in. I mean, that make that your branding. Don't act shocked when people are uh, offended or overly receptive. You're, you're picking a polarizing stance. So if you're doing that, lean into it, but be aware of of the ups and downs. Absolutely. Yeah, and talking about content is king, content, all you need is really good content, product, product on the field. I, I, I have to ask before <laughs> before the interview is over, what's the deal with the Jaguars? Oh, no. What, what it's is a mess. It? <laughs> we had one good year, and that was a lot of fun. 2017, went to the AFC Championship game 10 minutes away from the Super Bowl until we got a bad call from a ref, and ever since then, are the fran well not ever since then it's really been a long history of losing <laughs> we had one fluke season and that was a lot of fun uh but there's a lot of negotiation especially with, with the city of jacksonville right now trying to negotiate a new uh stadium lease trying to up, uh, negotiate stadium upgrades um they're trying to build an entertainment complex right next to the stadium but they need the Jaguars in order to commit to the city long term so it's just it's been years and years of sort of almost instilling this fear among the fan base and Jaguar fans. I, I know that, you know, the common joke is, Oh, well, I I'm, you know, I didn't even know Jaguar fans existed. Yes, we do. There are plenty of us and we're loyal, <laughs> um, but maybe perhaps a little too loyal because it, there's constant rumors of the team moving to LA, moving to London. I don't think either of those scenarios are going to happen, especially after COVID. Um, but it's a situation where it, it's an interesting dynamic between the fan base that's being told, well, you're not viable enough for, so we're going to take two home games away and send them over to London. But hey, you should subsidize this entertainment complex that's right next to the stadium. You're viable enough for that. Uh, and it's also an entertainment complex that's closely tied to the success or failure of the Jaguars. If the Jaguars aren't in town, that entertainment complex doesn't make a lot of sense. So for me, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, sort of vocal and passionate about this, especially if you follow me on Twitter. Um, I want the team to stay here. I want them to do well, um, but it has to, I, I don't want my fanhood held hostage anymore. Be committed yeah. to the city, be committed yeah. to the future of business opportunities in Jacksonville and, and really sort of hone in on that fan base that has supported you through thick and thin, literally more thick than thin. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a mess, but we still love the team. We still want them here. Um, it's slightly obsessed with, you know, watching every game, even though, you know, they're going to lose, but it's all, it's also a beautiful thing as far as like sports is concerned, because at the end of every year, there's that little glimmer of hope that, you know, we're going to get better. Mm -hmm. We have the draft coming up. Um, we're going to maybe get a quarterback. We better get a quarterback. Um, but I think it's, it's a good analogy to, or towards business and in life that, you know, you can really have a down year or a down few years, but there's always that little glimmer of hope and, and holding on to that, I, I think is really important from just a philosophical standpoint.
Well, I don't even want to parallel what business, like real business, would be the Jaguars because I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody over here. You don't even get to. You don't even get to ship them off to London this year because of COVID. Kevin Hill, he's been to the Jaguar Stadium. He wears socks in that pool while he watches the games. We started the show asking if you, Blight, so settle the debate. Do you put on your socks before you put on your pants, or do you put on your socks after you put your pants on? I would say you put them on before because oh. the time or because the type of pants that I wear, they have the, oh, yeah. the bunched up bottom. They're like the joggers. So oh. I like my socks to stay up when the oh. pants go on. So that oh. that's my reasoning. Okay. Right, All right. Very scientific. Blade, where do we send people to learn more <laughs> about you and to connect? Sure. You can learn more about me and the services that I provide at digitaldispatch.io. And then if you're interested in any kind of training, especially for B2B digital marketing, you can head on over to freightschoolplaybook.com. And we have a slew of options on there in order for you to up your digital marketing game for the rest of 2020 and leading into 2021. Thank you very much. We'll see you at Spacewaves tomorrow. Spacewaves is live.freightwaves.com. If you're listening to this on demand, that will be Thursday, December 3rd, 9 a.m. Eastern time, live.freightwaves.com, free virtual event. It'll be all day. We're going to be talking to NASA. It's going to be dope. Thank you, Blake. I'm excited. Thank you, guys.